I thought, oh, perhaps I've done it wrong. Perhaps I should have just sat serenely by the water's edge looking out to the reservoir. <laughs> but strangely, I don't know whether it was coincidence or not. I don't know. But strangely, it was around the same sort of time that my gender dysphoria increased dramatically. It went through the roof. It really did. And so much so that I just didn't know what gender I was at all. And I was in complete turmoil. I, so I was so desperate to find out what my gender identity was. I was even typing into Google, what gender is Martin Neves? Now, how crazy is that? When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now to mark Trans Awareness Week 2020, this week's guest is Katie Neves. Katie is a woman on a mission, but not just any woman and not just any mission. Katie has been a professional photographer and filmmaker for 33 years and two and a half years ago she came out publicly as being transgender after living for 48 years as a man. Katie formed Cool To Be Trans to support and inspire other trans people and also to educate the general public on trans issues. She helps organisations with diversity and inclusion by providing trans awareness training in an entertaining way by using her infectious sense of humour. A recent participant in one of Katie's webinars described it as the most interesting webinar so far and definitely the funniest. Katie appears regularly in the media and she is on both ITV's and the BBC's list of experts. Hi Steve, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm living in your little studio set up there. We were just talking about <laughs> that, weren't we, before I started recording? <laughs> so Katie, tell us about your career story. Right, okay. Well, it's uh, quite a long career. I am very old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm actually 51. So, um, so yeah. So, so basically, um, let's take 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 right back because I think there's there's two parts to my career. So I think I need to just sort of start right back to when I was born. So, um, because there's, there's there's two parts to me, obviously. So so basically, when I was born, I was assigned a gender a, a sex based purely on my physical sex characteristics. I what's between my legs. And I was assigned male at birth and I was given the name Martin Albert Neves. So that was me labelled. However, at the age of around three or four, um, my I, I sort of felt different to other boys. In, in the, I mean, I, I had more friends who were girls than were boys. And, you know, I was never into sport or anything. Like that. I had music as my main hobby. But but at the one of my earliest memories at the age, age of around three or four, was of my mum catching me uh, trying on a pair of my sister's knickers and I remember at the time it felt so right it felt it felt as it should but then when she caught me she told me off and then she told me to 
um, you know, to take them off. And then for every day of the following week, she would pull my shorts down and check to make sure I was wearing my own pants. And then that, that, that sowed the seed for life that what I was doing was wrong. It was bad. It was naughty. It was dirty. And so, um, you know, okay, that this, this doesn't actually relate to the, my career. It, it does eventually, but bear with me. No, you keep going. <laughs> but, the, but, but I thought I better just explain all this just to set the scene. And so basically that sort of made me sort of feel guilty about it. But then the urge to, to dress and to cross-dress was always there. And so throughout my childhood, I used to secretly dress up in um, my sister's clothes. Um, so whenever I had the opportunity, I'd just do it in secret. And remember, you know, it would always feel so right. But then those feelings of feeling right were very quickly superseded by feelings of guilt and self-loathing and self-hatred. Um, and it was for many years before I'd actually admit to myself that I was a cross-dresser, which then that's what I was. But, I, you know, it obviously progressed later on. But that's then, that's what I, you know, was. But I didn't admit it to myself right up until my mid-20s. But anyway, in the meantime, you know, I was progressing through school and then I, um, I used to do photography as a hobby and, and, and I loved it. And so when I got to um, the third year of secondary school, I, um, I asked if, if I could go to the local newspaper to, um, to, to, to go to, to spend some time in their photographic department uh, for a week uh, with a week's work experience. And Anyway, I managed to get it and, and I absolutely loved it. And then I asked them if I could go back at weekends and holidays and um, so basically didn't take no for an answer. I just badgered my way in there. And I was probably a bit of a nuisance to them to begin with because obviously I didn't know much then. But eventually I became useful to them and, and I was sort of free labour for them really for a while. And then, and then every now and again they'd offer me some, some shifts and things which would... Yeah, we're very, very poorly paid, but I didn't care because it was just all really good experience. And it was just, you know, I worked free. I'm happy. I didn't mind. It was just, I just wanted that experience and it was great. Um, and so I learned an awful lot then. And so I did my, it was, this, this is showing my age, O levels, <laughs> no, no GCSEs and all that stuff. It was all O levels, O levels. And, and then I did my A levels. And then I had a course lined up to do. In fact, actually, that's another thing I was report out. With my O-levels, one of the options, there was a photography option. And so, of course, I put that. That was the main thing I wanted to do, you know, and did all, all the other stuff as well. But then the school actually pulled that course, the, 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 the photography one, because not enough people wanted to do it. And I was absolutely gutted. It was such a kick in the teeth because at that early age, I was so passionate about photography and, and that, that's what I knew I wanted to do. And I really mm. thought that was the end. I thought, that's it. I can't be a photographer because I can't do a photography O-level. It was just, I was devastated. Um, and, and so in the end, I just thought... Um, I, I, they, they like to sort of pigeonhole you at schools with the, with the options you know you're you're either a science person or you're an arty person you can't be both and yet I was both because you know you with photography you obviously you've got to have the arty side of it to see the pictures and the light and framing and all that but then you also need the technical side of it as well so you, it, it brings both parts together and you can be both yeah but they yeah. the options didn't allow for that yeah yeah, um, my physics teacher doing uh, the photography with us with the photography teacher and showing us how those two came together so. exactly exactly and they really do and so you can be both um so um 
so that that was the sort of the first knockback and and and, and so then i ended up doing whatever i could and i did um i couldn't i think with the options i couldn't do art i couldn't do o level art um so the the only other thing that i had with drawing in it was was engineering drawing I mean, my mother um you know i did sort of physics and you know all the other sort of stuff that i did um and, but then so when i went on to do my a levels because i hadn't done o level art i couldn't do a level art so again i couldn't do any of the sort of drawing type stuff so again it was just down down the sort of technical side so my a levels were physics maths and engineering drawing um you know <laughs> but of course engineering drawing is just so technical it was just you know, drawing flanges and nuts and bolts and things and <laughs> It wasn't arty. <laughs> it wasn't arty at all. But it was it was just getting some drawing, you know. Um, but it, at the time, I thought, well, that's the best I can do, sort of thing. And but all while I was doing this, I was still going back to the local newspaper and their photographic department and helping them out at weekends and holidays. And and I was loving it, absolutely loving it. And then I had a course lined up to do um, at the end of my A levels, and but it was just perfect timing because a photographer left. And so they offered me an apprenticeship. So, you know, I thought, well, actually, I can get a lot further in three years with an apprenticeship, having a job, you know, but with training, being paid to do this and getting a professional qualification at the end of it than if I do a degree. So yeah. I didn't do the degree and I don't regret it for one minute. I think I think degrees, I think there's just there is too much emphasis on people having degrees now. And yet there's just so many you know out of work graduates and, and whereas having having a job with training i think that apprenticeships are just absolutely brilliant i really do and, and i absolutely loved it and and and, and i went to, to college block release to do um uh, an nctj um photojournalism course in sheffield and that was brilliant went, met some wonderful friends who've been friends for life um, and just inspirational people as well who they were they were really good photographers and i learned a lot from them as well um, had a fantastic time doing that, got qualified, uh, left that paper, went on to another paper, because um, that, that was a newspaper in Kent, and then, then I went on to another one in Kent, but it was it was sort of covering all of South London, and I didn't enjoy that because I was just stuck in all the London traffic all the time, and in those days, it was, um, it was all the days of film, so there was no digital photography then. God, I sound so old, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> so um this is going to be the theme of this <laughs> Katie <knows that>. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway i um yeah so so it was all on film so it was in the, and, and there were no mobile phones in those days <laughs> this is sounding terrible no mobile phones so it was it was radio pages you know remember them <laughs> you probably don't you're too young <laughs> I don't actually. You don't. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was this little bleeper thing that went on my belt, yeah, you know, and then, um, and so what would happen is that when the office had a had a, another job for me, they they send out this bleep to me. Then I'd have to try and find a phone box that worked and didn't stink of urine, <laughs> and then phone the office. You're gonna have to do some editing on this, Steve, aren't you? <laughs> I had an image of you going into a phone box and coming out of some superhero. Exactly. So anyway, and then I have to phone the office and they tell me where the next job is. And I go and do that. And then at the end of the day, because um, there was no time, because of the traffic, London traffic, there was no time to get back to the office, which was in Gravesend. Um, 
to, to process the film. So I'd have to have all the day's processing would have to be done um, at the end of each day. And so that would extend the day. So it, there were really long days. Then I had to commute back to where I was living in Kent and, and Sittingbourne at the time. And so it was my whole quality of life just plummeted. And I realized that I'd made a mistake when I got that job because it, you know, it just, my whole quality of life wasn't good then. Um, and so that was when I started to look for jobs outside of Kent because I'd always, I was being, I was born and brought up in Kent. I always thought that's, that was where I was going to stay. I hadn't thought about going anywhere else. But that job really made me think that. And I thought, well, actually, I'm going to have to have a look elsewhere. And there weren't any decent newspapers really in Kent at the time. So I thought, well, OK, well, let's just see what else is out there. And a job came up at the um, Coventry Evening Telegraph. And I applied for it. There was, at the time, I think there were about, they had about 100 applicants. And I managed to get the job. And um, so that's how I moved up to the Midlands. So, uh, you know. So by that time, I say I'd already been trained up and everything. So it was, it was a job as a senior staff photographer. Um, and of course, during that time, you know, I was still going back to the cross-dressing. I was still secretly cross-dressing and, and still in denial. Um, but it was, so by then I was in my sort of mid twenties and then I uh, met who a woman who'd become my first wife. Um, we got married. Um, and then I decided I would stayed with the Coventry Evening Telegraph for five years. Loved it there. It was it was great. It was a really good job. It was you know it was a, there was a real buzz about the newsroom and everything. And it was a, it was a real step up being a daily newspaper. Um, and uh, and then I, I decided to leave there after five years to set up my own freelance photography and video business, which mm -hmm. I named after my old male name Martin. So I called it Martin Leaves Photography and Film. Um, and uh, anyway, so so, uh, so so then then we got married, um, and uh, so so by by this time by my mid twenties, you know, I I got married for the first time, got a new business which was it become you know successful. It was really I mean I did loads of things. I did God I mean over that time you know when I photographed the the 1990 poll tax riots in Trafalgar Square, photographed Princess Diana's funeral, um, photographed the Yugoslav civil war in Croatia. Um, I was twice commissioned to photograph the Queen inside Buckingham Palace as well. So, you know, I've done lots of lots of you know quite big stuff, you know, and and um, and you know, I'd, and I got you know highly rated with my with my um, photography business, and it, you know it, it, things were going well. And it was only in my mid twenties that I admitted to myself that I was then a cross dresser. And as soon as I did that, the the whole shame and guilt and self-loathing just disappeared it was just like a whole weight lifting off my shoulders and I thought for all these years I've been fighting it and struggling with it and just through accepting it I just felt great it was fantastic and I realized that I had a condition called gender dysphoria which is a great feeling of unease and turmoil caused by a mismatch between how I felt in my head and my heart i.e., my gender identity as opposed to my sex characteristics and the the the, the sex that the, the label that I'd been assigned at birth, and uh, so so, but the thing is with with gender dysphoria, it can it can vary in intensity 
and it very often increases over time. And that's what happened with me, and I was completely unprepared for it. Um, uh, and you get some some trans people, and they the, the the level of gender dysphoria is very high from a very early age, and they're the people that need to transition from an early age. But I didn't, you know, I I was happy as a man who needed to cross dress, and that was all it was. You know, I was I, I knew what it was. I quantified it. And I was happy. That was fine. Mm -hmm. So I just compartmentalized it and that was it. So that was fine. We carried on and, um, and myself and my wife, we, we stayed together for 13 years. I mean, we, we should have split, we should have split sooner, but cause she never accepted my cross-dressing. Um, but her way of coping with it was just that she didn't want to see it. it, but it was always, it was always a bone of contention in the marriage. And we had, we had counselling over it um, you know, several times, but unfortunately it, it didn't work out. And um, the other thing is I, I wanted kids and, and she didn't. And I always thought that she would change her mind as she got older, as some women do, but unfortunately she didn't. So there was those two big things. So I initiated the first divorce. Now, during my second, sorry, during my, so, so during that, that divorce, I then went on to meet a woman who would, um, eventually become my second wife um, and I I decided to tell her about my cross-dressing on our second date thought the first date was probably pushing it <laughs> not really the done thing <laughs> <laughs> hello do you come here often oh look we've got matching knickers it doesn't really work does it <laughs> so so um so I decided to tell her about it. And to my surprise and to my delight, she was absolutely okay with it. Uh, and, um, but there were conditions attached. You know, she said that as long as um, she, you don't dress more than once a week, which in those days I didn't, that was enough to satisfy the level of gender dysphoria that I had. And that was fine. I was, I was okay with that. So that's, that's fine. That was a tick in the box. And then there was another one she said, as long as you didn't want to transition fully and at, at the time I absolutely didn't I really didn't I, I you know I, I was happy as a man who needed to cross dress so that was another tick in the box that that was fine and, and it was great so yeah we, we got on really well and you know our relationship blossomed and then nine years ago we had a, a beautiful baby daughter who's the absolute center of my universe um anyway um it was quite a while before we actually got around to getting married because I haven't gone through one divorce it was very messy and very painful and expensive I, I, the pain of that lasted with me for quite a while and I always said I'd never get married again but eventually I weakened and then in um, August 2017 um, we um, we did get around to getting married but a few months before we got married um, I happened to meet a clairvoyant and spiritual healer at, uh, this is where the eyebrows go up, <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a business networking meeting. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know if you ever go to any business networking events at all, but you just Used don't to. tend to, but yeah, but you don't tend to meet clairvoyance or that sort of thing, do you? No, you don't, no, that's true, yeah. They're all meet financial. a lot of interesting people, but I've never met a but, Yeah, but they're all financial advisors and you know, people, are, accountants and people like that, nothing against those sort of people at all, but um, clairvoyance of, far more interesting to talk to are they amazing so I was intrigued by her and I was just chatting to her for most of the evening to be honest and then at the end of the evening I thought oh I'm, I'm going to book up for a reading I thought I don't feel the need for a reading or anything but I'm just intrigued so I booked up for this reading and I went along and she blew me away 
she really did. She said so many things that were just so true and pinpoint accurate that she couldn't have known from my website because they were just little details that no way that anybody else could have known. But it, it was amazing. But then she also said lots of other things that didn't make sense at the time. Now, they make perfect sense now, <laughs> but they didn't at the time. So she said some things like a new way of being. And um, there's an issue that you've always known about, but that you're not fully in integrity with. And she said, spirit want you to go off uh, for a long walk in the countryside and talk to yourself, talk to nature and talk to spirit, and they will show you what you need to see. So I thought, mm, okay, well, I like walking anyway. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I do that every morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I thought, okay, fine. So, but I was really busy at the time because it was on the run up to our wedding and it, I was busy with my work as well. And um, so it was quite a while before I could sort of set aside the time to, to take myself off for a day to do that. So in the meantime, we got married, say in the August 2017. And it wasn't until early November 2017 that I did take myself off for a long walk and went over to uh, Rutland Water because I love it over there. Um, yeah, beautiful part of the country. And uh, I worked out this really, really long route around the surrounding countryside uh, around the south part of it. And then I, I just came back along the south shore. And so I, thought I didn't want to just go around the walk around the reservoir because that's when there's more likely to be lots of people. I went midweek as well because I wanted to make sure that there, there weren't many people around. Um, and I remember it now. It was a beautiful day. It was a cold, crisp, clear day with a blue sky and the sun was shining. But it was very, very cold, you know, and I went off with my map and my compass and my walking boots. And I was talking to myself, um, you know, talking to nature and talking to spirit, whoever they were. And I, if anybody saw me at the time, they thought it was completely off my trolley. But <laughs> I thought, well, I'll just go for it. What the hell? Yeah. I wasn't going to say it. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> So I thought, oh, God. so, so any, I remember feeling disappointed at the time because I was naively expecting some sort of light bulb moment or some sort of voice to say, this is what you should be seeing. Strangely, that didn't happen. Can't imagine why. I thought, oh, perhaps I've done it wrong. Perhaps I should have just sat serenely by the water's edge looking out to the reservoir. <laughs> but strangely, I don't know whether it was coincidence or not. I don't know. But strangely, it was around the same sort of time that my gender dysphoria increased dramatically. It went through the roof. It really did. It, and so much so that I just didn't know what gender I was at all. And I was in complete turmoil. I, so, I was so desperate to find out what my gender identity was. I was even typing into Google, what gender is Martin Neves? Now, how crazy is that? Yeah. But I was desperate for information. Where do you go when you want information? You go to Google. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Other search engines are available, of course. <laughs> right, this isn't the BBC. I didn't have to say that. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so, so I was in complete turmoil, but I couldn't tell my wife about this inner turmoil because I didn't want to stir up a, a hornet's nest unnecessarily if it was just something of nothing. Um, and at the same time, if I did tell her, it would lead to her asking me questions, which I just didn't have the answers to. I had just I had to work this out for myself. So the first thing I decided to do was to get some counselling. So I found a counsellor who had experience of dealing with people with gender issues. And I had several sessions with her and I wrongly concluded at the end of those sessions 
that I was gender fluid. Now, I know now why I came to that conclusion, and that was my fear of admitting to myself that I was a transgender woman um, that, that was making me trying to hang on to any bit of masculinity that I had. And so I understand mm. that now, but at the time I didn't. But as, as well as doing that, I was working my way through a self-help workbook, which was written by a gender therapist from the States uh, called J Dara Hoffman Fox. It's an absolutely brilliant book. And it's, it's basically on, it's, it's basically, it's like psychotherapy in a book. And it's basically about how to identify your gender identity for people who are questioning. And there's a lot of work. It took me about two months to work my way through the book. Um, and by the time I got to about three quarters of the way through the book, it became obvious that I wasn't gender fluid. I was, in fact, a transgender woman. And then by the time I got to the end of that book, that conclusion hadn't changed. So now I had two conclusions, but they were different. So, OK, what can I do now? So, finally, so, I, so I sent a text back to the clairvoyance and I thought I should point out this day. She's not um, she's not just some sort of. Um, mystic Meg sitting in a caravan with a crystal ball predicting the lottery numbers. Although, to be honest, with the state of my finances at the moment, that'd be quite useful. So if you do know of anyone like that, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> I'll be up with them first. Um. Yeah, all right, OK. Oh, track. <laughs> um, and um, no, she, she, she's actually a, she's a, a, a spiritual healer specialising in clairvoyant healing, and she's a healer member of the, the National Federation of Spiritual Healers, which is recognised by the NHS. So she's got some, some, some credibility behind her. And she suggested that I go along for what she calls a vision quest session, which is a four hour interactive process. So it's a big old process, it really is. And I went along to do that on the 11th of January 2018. And in in that um that that session basically she uses techniques such as deep meditation to really get me into a very very relaxed state and to allow me to access my inner truth and to get past all my fear because it's the fear that stops you admitting stuff so it's just yeah. allows you to get past that and it's really important to point out that during that session she didn't give me any answers at all in that session she just asked me a series of questions it was question after question after question after question whether she got the questions from spirit or whether i haven't got a clue don't know but she just asked me all these questions and she allowed all the answers to come from me and from my inner truth and it was such an emotional session i cried buckets in that session it was really really hard and it was at the end of that session and that's when i admitted to myself that i am a transgender woman and that i need to change my body and that was the point that I really felt female. And I really felt that Martin had stepped back and Katie had taken over. And I haven't looked back since. That, that's, that's his, you know, that was exactly the right conclusion. So now, you know, I knew my true gender identity. I, I had worked it out. I've got it, you know. But there's one thing knowing it. There's another thing doing anything about it. So what now? What was I going to do with this new piece of information? You know, my, I had a, a, a happy home life and I had a successful business. You know, could, could I put all of that in jeopardy for the sake of this piece of information? Then on the other hand, could I go back to living how I was before with this new piece of information eating away at me? Well, I didn't think that I could. And I, and I, and I think that was right. I don't think, you know, the trouble is once you know your true gender identity, you can't unknow it. You know, that genie was not going back in the bottle. 
So I just think it would just eat away at me and, and um, it wouldn't do me any good. So um, also the, the, um, the research that I did showed, because obviously there's, there's no, there's no choice about being trans. I didn't want to be trans. And if, I, if there was a choice, I would choose not to be trans. You know, it's hard. It's a really hard journey. Um, and it invariably involves a lot of lost pain and heartache along the way, as well as having to deal with hatred and bigotry as well. So it's not an easy journey at all. So, um, so I didn't want to be trans, but I had no choice about being trans. The only choice I had about was whether I was going to do anything about it. Uh, and the research I did showed that most trans people who decide to transition usually end up leading happy and fulfilled lives after the initial lost pain and heartache <laughs> and it's a bumpy journey along the way but usually they end up being happy whereas most trans people who end up living their lives for other people and you know not being their true selves they're the ones that sadly often end up in a spiral of depression because they're not able to live their truth and it's sad it really is um so the the urge to live my truth was just so overwhelmingly strong so I just thought, well, I've, I've just got to do this thing. Um, I would say man up, but that's probably the wrong thing to say, isn't it? So, so the first thing I had to do was to tell my wife. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, really was. Uh, it took me a month to pluck up courage to tell her. And it went down as badly as you'd expect. I actually wrote a letter to her just in case my words didn't come out right. I was so worried about telling her. In the end, my words did come out right, but I gave her the letter at the end so she had something to refer to because she was in complete shock. It was awful for her. You know? um, and it's important to point out, I think at this stage as well, that sexuality and, and gender are completely separate entities and they're not linked at all. So for me, I've always been attracted to women and I'm still attracted to women. That's been the one constant in my life and that hasn't changed. Um, what has changed is that the labels changed. So previously I was labelled as a heterosexual man. Now I'm labelled as a lesbian. Well, it feels exactly the same to me. It doesn't feel any different. It's just just the labels that society puts mm. on people. You know? yeah. So that, that's all that is. But the, the thing is that the label hadn't changed from my wife. She was still attracted to, to men. So obviously there was a problem there. Um, we tried counselling but unfortunately that didn't work. So unfortunately that spelt the end of my second marriage. So it was a very short marriage, that one. Uh, so the next dilemma I had was what to do about the name of my photography and video business when I changed my name to Katie, because it was very strongly, very boldly branded after my old male name, Martin. It's called Martin Neves Photography and Film. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that I could change my name the name of the business to Katie Needs Photography and Film, but I felt that nobody would know who that was because I was pretty well known and I, you know, I'm actually still ranked second in the UK of, uh, you know, of photographers on free index purely from customer reviews. I've got something like 193 customer reviews, average ranking of, rating of 4.9 out of five. And, you know, so I was really proud of, of that. And so, and it had been an established brand for 22 years at that stage. And so I just thought, I didn't want to change the name of the business. It's a, it's a whole brand in itself. So I thought, I've just got to be Katie of Martin Neves Photography and Film instead of Martin from Martin Neves Photography and Film. So just sort of trying to distance myself a little bit from, from the brand, you know. 
But in order to do that, I'd have to come out very openly, very honestly and very publicly as being trans and continue to do that going forward. So it was a big commitment to do that. Mm. So I decided to make a coming out video. And so what I did on the 26th of April 2018, I decided to make that video public. Uh, so and, and I sent it to all my clients and said, put it on all my social media. And I remember Facebook was the first one. And I remember vividly now my finger nervously hovering over the mouse, knowing that as soon as I make that click to make the video live, my life will never be the same again. Anyway, I made the click and I waited. But then I had to go on a job. <laughs> my mind wasn't on the job at all. I was just, I, God, I was just, um, I was on, I was on autopilot. I mean, the client was very happy with the pictures, but I couldn't wait to get back just to see what's happening on Facebook. Cause I was so worried because my whole livelihood, my reputation, everything rested on the reaction to that one video. It's the one most important video I've ever made in my life. Anyway, I didn't have worried because when I got back, I was inundated with hundreds of messages of support. It was incredible. I felt so loved. I, I didn't do any work for three whole days because I was so busy replying to all these lovely messages. And as well as having lots of lovely messages from, uh, from friends and from clients, I also had messages from other trans people saying that they'd been struggling with it and what I'd said had helped them. Uh, but there was one particular message that just stood out above all the others. And it was from a woman whose son had had gender issues when he was going through puberty and he was being treated for it at a gender clinic for children. And she, she said that she was worried at the time that he would either be bullied or he'd self-harm or he'd even attempt suicide. And she was right to be worried. Um, I mean, Stonewall's Trans Mental Health Survey of 2012 showed that 48% of trans people have attempted suicide at least once, and 84% have thought about it. Um, now, I'm one of the lucky ones. I, I never have, so I'm very lucky, but I'm surprised those stats aren't higher because most of my trans friends have attempted suicide. So I really, I, I, it really struck a chord with me when, when she said that. And she, and she said to me, she said, if only there was someone like you out there at the time her son was going through this to let him know that it's okay to be trans because it really is okay to be trans and I thought I've really got to do some good with this so I decided mm. to vlog my whole journey just to bring people along on the journey with me demystify it make it accessible and um, so that people can see that trans people are just ordinary people who want to be safe loved and happy just like everyone else and so that's what I've been doing so I was vlogging my whole journey and anyway it was picked up um, initially by the local radio uh, station and so I started doing interviews from local radio and then local newspapers and that escalated and I started doing national radio and television and national newspapers and magazines and so all of a sudden I'd become this trans ambassador if you like um, or gobby trans woman as I like to call myself <laughs> um, and so then it's led to, to my forming call to be trans. And so to, again, just to reach out to trans, other trans people to let them know that it really is okay to be trans mm -hmm. and to 
and to educate the general public about it to show that we are just ordinary people and so that's what i do now so i do do trans awareness training and, and public speaking and media appearances um just to, to further that cause and it seems to be picking up quite a pace now and i've been doing lots of things and uh, you know to, it was just really it was really picking up you know just before lockdown and of course then there was a there was a massive dip obviously um as everything was cut it was cancelled because it was all it, then it was all done in person but then mm. now everybody's realized well actually you can do stuff online now and so now it's all gone virtual now so it's all like virtual training and and, and doing virtual speaking to companies and things now and, and, and speaking at conferences virtually so that's what it is now but hopefully hopefully eventually we'll be we'll, we'll all be allowed out again <laughs> one day <laughs> don't you love an optimist we've got a hope haven't we yeah, yeah, I hope so, yeah. the same day again again and again i know i know so um so 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 that that's where it is now and then in terms of my transition i mean i i, I train i changed my name to katie in uh, july 2018 um I've been living full time as female for just over two years now, and it just feels so right. It really does. It's been such a whirlwind. So much has happened in that time, but there hasn't been a single day that I've got up in the morning and thought, "Oh, well, I'll pretend to be Martin again today." Not a single day. Uh, it, it feels so right, and I've lost count of the number of people who have told me how much happier I look now, and I'm not surprised because it's it's the real me. Um, and I'm still exactly the same person inside. I've still got the same skills, the same experience, the same sense of integrity, the same sense of humour, however warped that may be, but still exactly the same person, but far, far happier. Um, you know, I also have cravings for chocolate now too, but it's a girl thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have my emergency chocolate in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it just, it absolutely does feel, feel so right. And, and, you know, in terms of medically, you know, um, with my transition, I've been on hormone treatment now for two and a half years, but that's only because I paid privately purely because the, the NHS, um, you know, trans medical health care is absolutely broken. Um, the, I'm on the waiting list for, to, you know, to be seen by an NHS gender clinic, but, um, I've been waiting for two and a half years and still haven't had my first appointment yet. And yet the NHS says that the guidelines say that you have to, you know, it's a maximum waiting time of 18 weeks. It's been two and a half years so far and still no sign of a first appointment. And then you don't get treated on the first appointment. It's only an assessment. Your treatment normally only starts on the second appointment, sometimes even the third, but, and you can often wait a, another year to get the second appointment. So it's mm. just, it's horrendous. But I was in the fortunate enough position I was able to afford to, to pay privately. So that's why I've been able to, you know, I'm well on the way with my transition. Um, but yeah, it just feels so right. And I, and I think my main message to people is that um, fear often stops people doing things that they really need to do for their own well-being. Um, and it could have easily have stopped me from... A, admitting to myself that I was trans in the first place and B, from doing something about it. But I've come to realise that the reality is usually a lot easier than you fear. It certainly was you know, in terms of coming out. And it, it certainly has been in terms of the way people are. I, always, I thought that it, it was going to be this world where everybody was going to be anti-trans. It's not. There's a small percentage of people who are, yes, and they're very noisy. 
but the vast majority of people are supportive. They really are. I generally on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't have any problems. You know, it's great. People are fantastic. And I, I remember my, my first day um, of living full-time, I started living full-time as female on the 2nd of September, 2018. And, and the first day of living full-time as female, you know, going out on a job, you know, as Katie and with, you know, in a dress, I was so worried, you know, how, how would people react? They're absolutely fine. No problem at all. It's just not a big deal. You know, people have got their own problems to worry about. They don't, they don't need to worry about anything that's going on with me. So, you know, I think that's, that's what I need. What I would say to people is that if they're worried about doing something big with the, either their business or their, their career, their personal life, whatever, you know, acknowledge that fear because that's, that's normal. That's human. But then go for it anyway, um, because most people regret the things in life that they don't do, not the things they did do. So that's pretty much my story. <laughs> so, I mean, I suspect because you, you're used to telling the story that the reason that I've just heard this beautiful tale um, is down to that as well. But it's, I love the way that you're just very open about things and that you've got a very bright positive outlook on it as well and Thank whilst you're you talking then I was actually looking at my mug here that my friend Lindsay got me that says um the only choice the only choice I ever made was to be myself yep absolutely absolutely um, and talk going back to the piece where you were talking about the business and choosing to keep Martin mm. on the, uh, as the name of above the door mm. We've just had, for the benefit of the listeners, when we're recording, we've just had National Coming Out Day on Sunday. Is there, kind of, have you had an experience or how do you, how, how do you feel, how do people react when they see for the first time that Martin is a trans woman? Well, um, in terms of my clients, they know, obviously, when they book me, um, you know, I would have spoken to them before and, and, you know, I'm very open about it. I mean, for quite a while, I've taken it off. Now. I mean, it's on, it's on my, uh, both both my websites, the Martin Needs Photography website, and called, obviously called to be trans, is all about being trans anyway, but with the Martin Needs Photography one, I've got an About Me page. I've, I've got pictures of what I used to look like before and everything, so I'm just totally open and upfront about it, so they know. Although a lot of people actually don't look at that, and so, you know, I do still get phone calls asking for Martin, and obviously then I just explain, but for quite a while I did actually have in my email signature, I had a little note saying, um, Martin is not my husband, my father, my <laughs> my brother, or my business partner. Um, I used to be called Martin. For more information, click here, and then it would go through to the Call to Be Trans website. <laughs> It's a, a great way to do it. it. That's amazing. <laughs> so he said, but I've, I've taken it off now because I think, well, no, I'm just Katie. You know, that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, um, and it's interesting that, I mean, I'm, it's funny. A lot of people sort of say to me, oh, you need to change the name of the business to Katie Needs Photography. Why the hell are you keeping your dead name? And a lot of trans people call their old name their dead name because they really can't cope with it. And I'm very unusual in that respect in that I, I don't like being called Martin because that's not my name anymore, but I'm very happy referring to Martin and I'm completely at peace with my past and, and, and I'm, I'm proud of Martin and I'm proud of everything I've achieved as Martin. And I'm grateful to Martin for stepping back and allowing me to be Katie 
So I bear absolutely no malice at all to Martin or the name Martin. So in some ways, it's quite an affectionate thing because it's a it's a nice way of keeping the name going, even though it's not my name. So it's, it's, it's still the name's going in my business, but it's not my name anymore. So it's quite a nice way of doing it. And I'd say I'm just completely comfortable with it. It's not for everybody. In fact, the majority of trans people wouldn't dream of doing that because they <laughs> they call it their dead name, which I think is ever so sad. But I, I, I never have. Um, but I could, I, yeah. I mean, I, I could actually change. I could actually change it to Katie Neves Photography and Film now because because of all the work I've done with Cool to Be Trans, I'm better known now as Katie than I was as Martin. But I'm not going to because it's part of my story and 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 I'm proud of it. So I'm keeping it the same. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I'm a branding professional, so I'm listening to you talking and going, "Well, that's part of your legacy." And there's plenty of dead people that have got huge legacies that people mm. tell and that we look back on and that we learn from. Yeah. It, it's almost erasing a part of you. Exactly. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to erase the, the previous 48 years of my life. Um, it's That's all part of me. It, you know, it's been a big part of my life. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's just embracing the whole me. I love it. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I did. I did lose some clients as well. So I, it hasn't been all been plain sailing. So I did lose some clients. Um, but I, at the time, I thought, well, yes, I missed the money, but I didn't miss them because I thought, well, I only want to work for nice people. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to work for people. They're not going to get it. Then stuff them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd. I'd want to. You know. I want to work for nice people, and it opened the way to me picking up new clients from people who totally get me and, and also then expanding cool to be trans and and really building that and that's that's the thing that i think that's really going to go forward and, and and take over to be honest that's fabulous thank you so much for your time katie i've really enjoyed oh, uh, listening to you there fantastic oh, you're career story there. <laughs> how can um, people find out more about you uh, right uh, probably the best thing to do is just to go to my website which is uh, uh, all w's and then cool to be trans.co.uk so that's cool so c double o l and then the number two the letter b then trans t-r-a-n-s.co.uk and there's links to all my social media and stuff on there or they could look me up on linkedin or facebook and or twitter i'm everywhere i look up cool to be trans or katie neves you'll find me <laughs> you can't get rid of me <laughs> Excellent. I will put it in the show notes so that people can find yeah, it easily as brilliant. well. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your time, as I said. Thank you to the listeners today as well for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're enjoying the series, then leave a review as well. And we'll see you next time. Bye.